1 Peter. We started a series on 1 Peter. Tanya introduced it last week, and this week we're going to look at the start of 1 Peter. And we've got to remember that the context of this that Tanya mentioned was that this is not a theological thesis. This is not a, a gospel declaration. This is a guy whose heart really pours out for the people that he's writing to. He's a, a guy that's reached a mature stage in his life. He's journeyed the faith for a while now. He's not young. He's, uh, he's not immature. He's actually journeyed a fair way in this journey and he's reaching out with a, with a depth and experience writing to some people in need. And there's a, there's a real depth of wisdom in what Peter's sharing in, in this. And he starts by writing to them, and we're starting at 1 Peter 1. He starts saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance." Now, to us, this looks like just a nice introduction, a bit of fluff. I, I struggle with 1 Peter. I have to look at a couple of different translations because I find the words a bit complicated and I have to read it a few times to understand what he's talking about. But you kind of get, get a kind of a little bit of a, um, a snapshot of a bit of an idea that he's presenting here. But what Tanya mentioned last week is the reason that these people are scattered in exile is because the Emperor Nero, the Emperor of Rome, is after them. This guy, for a number of reasons, uh, hated Christians. And he decided uh, early on, not so officially, it was a bit unofficial, um, but later on it became official that he hated Christians. And he did a bunch of things. There's a historian who said that he tortured, persecuted and killed many Christians, fed them to wild animals in arenas, hung them on crosses, and even used them at can as candles at his parties. He'd light them on fire around his evening feasts. So he'd have, a, he'd have a party, a feast of an evening, and the lighting for the event would be Christians on fire. This is how twisted the circumstance is. And, and this is the people that Peter is writing to. He's writing to a bunch of people that are scattered, that are in exile. And can we already see that he's writing to them saying, I know you're not in your home. I know that you're... You're, you're scattered and you're in exile. And you kind of think back to the, the Israelites in, uh, in Egypt. You know, you're not in your homeland. You're not where you're meant to be. But he also starts by saying to God's elect that you are set apart, that you are, don't forget who you are. Don't forget that you are God's elect. You have been chosen. But then at the end of this passage, he makes this audacious, ridiculous statement that just does not fit their circumstances in appearance. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's like wearing a stupid tie-dye shirt, not stupid, uh, an out-of-fashion tie-dye shirt on a Sunday morning. It just doesn't fit. I only realised this morning, I didn't know before this morning, I got this on the Southern Cross Kids Camp and the, the person running the craft said at the end of the day, I've got some leftover dyed, do you want to do it? I didn't realise Dan helped. He helped make my shirt. So thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Well, I love this shirt because it has sentimental value, but it's not particularly in fashion. It doesn't particularly fit the occasion. It stands out. It's a bit weird. But the thing is, this statement doesn't seem to fit, but it does. This statement 
talks of something really profound that this guy, remember, we know Peter, he, he kind of spoke first and thought second. You know, as a young guy, he was, he was pretty out there and he jumped. And this is not necessarily that Peter. He's still the same guy, but he's the guy that's actually experienced what it's like to be walking in the faith. And he's still prepared to talk to these people who are scattered because, because the emperor wants to burn them to say, you can have grace and peace in abundance. Wow. Well, how does that work? If we continue... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So he starts talking about this new birth that they've experienced. He starts talking about this, this hope that they've got, that's something that's been saved for them. And we think about birth as a physical birth, and in other passages they go, what do you mean a new birth? Can you, you can only be born once. You can't go back into your mother's tummy. But this analogy is of the idea that when you are born, you are born into a family. You don't choose that family. When you're born into it, you're born into a family. And in this case, he's saying when you accept Jesus, you're born into a family, and when you're born into that family, you got an inheritance. Now, in their scenario, their worldly inheritance might have been burnt, might have been destroyed. But he's saying the inheritance that you've got is not one that can be destroyed. It can't be damaged or perished. There's nothing that can take it away. And that inheritance is kept in heaven, in other words... You know, the, the throne room, the place where it's most protected. It's there and it is preserved and it is protected. And God's power is shielding it. Don't forget your inheritance that you've got when you, you're born into this new life. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He's not denying the fact that they're in a tough spot, but he still says, in all this you greatly rejoice. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. So he's talking about the gold. He says even though gold, when it's, when it's um, refined by fire, it will still perish, it'll still fade away. But your faith is even greater than that. And it may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's again talking about this thing that's coming. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. Now, the prophets are those that, that have, have the kind of the heroes of the faith that have come before them, those that they've read about and heard about in their history, cultural history of the Jewish nation, where there's people that have come before that have looked to find what God's, where God's going, what his answers are. And they worked hard at this. They did it intensely and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them 
that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. We have a real challenge because we often, and and Peter has already touched on this, we often deal with the here and now. We often uh, get stuck in the circumstances at the moment. I remember someone saying, struggling with being part of a church, saying, I don't want to play the game. I don't want to... Don't want to be, be in the game of the, the in it to win it game where if you're not there, then you miss out and everything is kind of immediate and in front of you. And there's a reality to that, that when we're in this room together, we get to spend time together and think about each other. But quite often tomorrow morning, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about tomorrow morning. And I'm not always thinking about this moment. There's a real challenge, a wrestle there. The, the deeper challenge in amongst that is that in this space, when we're, when we're thinking about things just in the moment, we get, we get um, distracted and lose sight of the bigger picture. And we can often get discouraged by the circumstances that, we're, that are immediately before us. And we forget the long picture, the long perspective, because we're caught up with the short perspective. I want to break up this, this block of text into three parts. And I'm going to start by talking about the still to come, the things that haven't happened yet that Peter talks about. Firstly, he talks about inheritance that is protected in heaven. It's, it's an inheritance that cannot, it doesn't waver. It's not getting taken away from you. It's locked in. It is coming. Your inheritance is there. Secondly, he talks about praise, glory, and honour. Now, we, we understand this from a, from a Jesus point of view, but he's actually talking about praise, glory, and honour that is received by those that have been faithful, by those that have been on the journey. There's actually praise, glory, and honour for those that are part of the family. It's part of your inheritance. You're not treated like a slave or like a servant. You're treated like family. And, and when we all gather in that, that final celebration, there's actually praise, glory, and honour to the believers. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But, but this is a celebration of the body. This is the bride that's being given praise, glory, and honour in that still-to-come part. It talks about salvation of our souls. And again, this is something that we go, well, I'm already saved. But when it comes to that trial, that, that end time where we're judged for who we are, Jesus says, no, 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 she's mine, he's mine. At that point, there is salvation for us still to come. And the other part that he talks about is that Christ is revealed. That at the moment we fight this battle with, with people that are confused and uncertain and not sure and we go, but, but he's got an amazing purpose for you and there's going to come a time where Christ is revealed. There is no confusion. There is no question. It's coming that Christ is going to be revealed to the whole world. Everyone is going to know that he is Lord. There's not going to be any confusion from anyone. But that's still to come. Oh, sorry, in grace. He does talk about grace coming as well. They're things that are still to come. But presently, he talked about us being, or, or, or the people that he was writing the letter to, being having a new birth. Having a new birth. Something that they've, they've been born into that is actually for now. 
But he also talks about suffering, grief in all kinds of trials. And in their case, I talked about what their, their grief and their suffering in all kinds of trials. This isn't just hardship. This is life-threatening stuff for them. They've escaped because of these trials. And he also talks about the prophets preaching to them, giving them this gift of telling them about what's still to come. So right now, we've got three things. We've got a new birth, we've got this suffering and trials, but we've got the prophets who've told us that something different is coming. In amongst it, there's this little, there's this little snapshot that comes in. He talks about the Messiah's suffering and the glories that are going to come for the Messiah. And you can see the pattern. A Messiah suffering then gets raised up and glorified. He's saying, here, presently, this is what you look like, but this is what's still to come. It's really quite hard in the circumstance. We often, and I said before, we often get caught up in the moment and we only look at the presently part. We get caught up with the presently part. And we're consumed by our circumstances. We're consumed by how the world is. We're consumed by the challenges we're facing. We're consumed by the things that are broken or that, that aren't working. And they're in front of us. And because they're in front of us, they're the thing that gets our attention. But what Peter is very, very clearly saying is, don't let those things determine what the picture looks like. Don't let those things decide your attitude, your perspective, your, your direction. He says, these are the things to come and they're the things that you need to remember in your context. They're the things that give meaning to the present. The present doesn't have meaning without the still to come. Just as a complete hypothetical analogy, say, say someone was to, um, to get engaged, right? And there's this, there's this season of, of anticipating going, I think it's coming. All right, I think, I think there's probably, I can see that the writing's on the wall. There might have been a few hints and conversations. There might have been some questions prompted and poked saying, when's this coming? Just hypothetically. But then there's this amazing moment where a ring's brought out, the guy gets on the knee, and it's no longer a mystery. But even in that point, that couple's not married. There's a promise of something to come. And yet, there's an amazing celebration that happens at that point. And probably not much product productivity at work <laughs> because you spent the whole day on the phone talking to people about how awesome it is. Just hypothetically speaking. <laughs> but my point is, there's an excitement today for something that hasn't yet happened. And there's a perspective today and an attitude today because of something that's coming. It's a really important concept to get because in this picture, the what's coming actually changes the attitude for today. And Peter doesn't leave it there because he says there's some, there's some really fantastic things that link the present with where things are coming. And these are the parts that I've pulled out of it. He links this living hope. The hope is alive. It's not dead. This hope is something that is living. It's active. It's actually part of what we're doing. It's when we gather here together, we get to um, share that living hope. 
He talks about rejoicing greatly. How can I rejoice greatly when I'm suffering? I can rejoice greatly because I know what's coming. Doesn't mean I've had a good day at work, but I know there's a wedding coming. Do you get the analogy? He can say, you have genuine faith. I trust. I trust because I've been told it's going to be better. There's going to be something more. There's a love of Christ, even though you don't see. You don't see what's coming. You can't hold on to it yet. At the moment, you're suffering. But when you, when you have a love of Christ that goes beyond your circumstances, you can rejoice. There's a faith. There's a belief in him. He says you hold on even though you don't see him, you believe. And there's an inexpressible joy, an inexpressible joy. And you say, how can they have those things if they're presently in this place? How can you have these things if the circumstances are tough? And it's because those things link us to where we're going. And this completely changes the way we look at our lives and our purpose and our direction. As Jim shared, there's people that are struggling with life and think that suicide is the answer. My cousin made that choice last October. That was his choice that he made that life wasn't worth living anymore. And we look at our circumstances and go, ah, what could I have done? He lives in another country on the other side of the world. There's people that are lonely. There's people that are broken and aimless and lost. And if we, if we just say that's it, that's how it is, then there's nothing more we can offer. But if you're a follower of Jesus, that is completely and utterly untrue because there is something amazing that we have to offer that we need to be rejoicing and celebrating and, and jumping from the last of us and wearing stupid T-shirts that stand out because we want to say we represent something that's not fashionable, that doesn't fit in, that doesn't just go under the radar. It actually stands out because what's coming is phenomenal and you really need to get on board because this is what life is about. I had a look into um, why Nero hated Christians. And do you know why he hated Christians? He hated Christians because they didn't fit in. Because they believed in what was still to come. And when they believed on what was still to come, it meant that he wasn't their God. It meant that when they did rituals and ceremonies and other things, the Christians didn't participate. They didn't play. They didn't play nice with the culture. They didn't go and do the things that everyone else did. They said, no, we have a hope that is way better than anything you've got to offer. And that hope cost a lot of them their lives. And I look at the way I think about my circumstances and I go, okay, God, you know, if I pray for something and, and, and you'll make it all better in the next week and that's awesome and I want to step in in faith for the next week. And I think such a short perspective of what God's doing such a short attitude to what he's doing and what his plans are. And I think about those early Christians that this was written to and the amazing joy and, and faith and hope and love and belief that linked this, their current suffering with something amazing that was yet to come. And I think I'm so short-sighted. I kind of I look at maybe 2018, what's God doing in 2018? And that's about as far ahead as I can look at. And I think, wow, 
How narrow, how small, how insignificant my eyes are looking at compared to the amazing picture that he calls these people to and he calls us to. When we look at this picture and we look at our circumstances, what do you see? Let me read a couple of other passages that talk about this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. This momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I want to do the hard yards today so that in two weeks' time it's easy. That's how much I'm prepared to invest. And yet this tells us that, that this momentary affliction, often the Bible says things are small when they feel bigger to us, this momentary affliction is actually for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Romans 8.18 says, The suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And 1 Corinthians 13, 12 to 13, and this is in a different context, but it's the same thing. For now we, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. I love that passage. That passage for me is awesome. Because when everything else disappears, what's left? What remains? Faith, hope, and love. If you look at this picture, where do they fit? They're part of the link. They link our present circumstances with where things are going. Amazing gift that we've been given. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. They're gifts that have been given so that we can see what's coming even though today that doesn't feel like it. Even though today is a challenge, even though today doesn't look like it. And, and I really want us in the culture of this place to get this. We talk about the things that we value. We value the kingship of God, right? If God is king, then we know what's still to come. We trust him and we know he's the authority of that. And if he says it's going to be good, it's going to be good. If he says it's worth celebrating today for what's going to come, let's celebrate today for what's going to come. If he says there's a reason to be joyful, even in affliction, let's be joyful because he's our king. And he said that's our attitude today to help us see what's coming. We also say that we want to be a revolution of love. And a revolution of love talks about not fitting in and going under the radar and making sure we don't make any ripples in our culture and making sure everything's okay. It's about saying, no, I represent a kingdom that's, that's not yet here. It's coming. I represent it, but it's not yet here. And I'm prepared to create uh, attention today in the present because I know what's coming. And I'm prepared to put the things in the middle to show you about what's coming. I'm prepared to stir it up and be part of a revolution that says, no, it's not okay to be lonely. No, it's not okay to be abused. No, it's not okay to, to be homeless. Those things aren't okay. I'm not, I'm not prepared to settle for that. And I know that's how the circumstances are, but I believe there's some things I can put into this place, faith, hope, and love, that mean people can see more than what they're seeing today. Another thing we say that we value is a united body. 
And we've talked about this already this morning. I don't need to keep talking about it. But part of a united body is, is standing together and saying, we're not letting a go of these links. These links are the things that tie us to what's to come. Let's remind each other of what God's doing. Let's not ease up on each other. When someone's discouraged, remind them. Remind them. Stand with them. Support them. The finger analogy is awesome. Bring it in close. When it's hurting, bring it in close. We say we want to have challenged habits. Challenged habits. Not settling for the status quo and how it is. It's exactly what this picture says. And we say we want to have a kingdom perspective. It means that our eyes are fixed on the kingdom of Jesus Christ and his purpose. And we're not going to settle for the way things are. We see how they are. We acknowledge how they are. We're not, we're not living in, in la-la land and pretending that they don't exist. These guys weren't pretending that their lives weren't threatened. They were scattered. They'd run. They'd run to save their lives. They're not pretending that there's no threat on their lives, but they're saying that threat is insignificant compared to the joy I have in knowing that there is a plan and a purpose that is eternal that I will get to celebrate. I will suffer today for the long-term gain. I will suffer today for that perspective. I will go through this endurance. I will do this. I will have joy in my circumstance. And to be honest, I don't think I can say that the way that they can say that. I don't think my circumstances are anything like theirs. I'm not trying to put that a measure on anyone else. I'm just talking about myself. I don't think my circumstances can say that I've been in a trial situation like these guys can and say I have inexpressible joy. I think for me to say that, that I'm equal to them, is a cheap shot. I'm not pretending that. But I am saying that what what Peter was encouraging them, this old wise man that's done the hard yards, that's been on the journey, that has tested what he's talked about and tested what Jesus taught him, is still towards the end of his life saying, this is what it's about. This is what you've got to keep your eyes focused on. What are the circumstances in your life that consume you, that distract you, that take your focus off the end game? I'm not saying they're not real, but what I am saying is they need that middle part. They need some hope. They need some joy. They need some love. They need some faith. They desperately need that to be put into context and perspective. That's part A. Part B, who do you know that is consumed by their circumstances? They too need some hope, some love, some joy, a snapshot of an eternal perspective. We are carrying something that is divine. We are carrying something that is profound, way beyond our comprehension of what it is. And yet the little bit that we do grasp, we have a beautiful opportunity to celebrate, to rejoice, to step out and say, I do not care what you think of my shirt. (laughs) I do not care. Because what I do care about is if it communicates something that's colourful, that's bright, that brings hope, then that's what it takes. I'll look like an idiot. For Jesus, not trying to pick on the shirt, Dan, by the way. It's an awesome shirt. 
and it's just an analogy. I'm not really talking about the shirt, obviously, but, but I'm talking about our lives being tested, our faith being tested, our lives reflecting something that actually costs and hurts and is challenged and is, is not easy is because we're looking for a bigger picture. We're seeing something more than those who are criticizing and judging and um, condemning are. There was a story that, that a guy told um, at a conference last year that I was at. He walked down the street and a biker walked the other way. And as he walked past, he felt God saying, really want you to tell this guy that, that I'm thinking about him. I love him. And he walked past. He said, oh, the opportunity wasn't really there. He was with some friends from Europe and they walked past. But this biker actually turned around and came back the other way. As he walked past, the guy thought, well, here we go. Opportunity number two. I better not let this pass. And he said to him, mate, I really think God wants me to tell you that, that he loves you, that he's thinking about you. And the guy walked past as if he didn't hear. And so he turned around and said, oh, um, excuse me. And this guy turned around to him and said, I effing heard you the first time and I don't want to hear it again. And this guy was, he was quite aggressive. And immediately this guy thought, oh, my European friends, I better make sure that they don't get injured here. I'm in Australia. He said, I love how honest Aussies are. Was that, would that be the first thought that you come to mind? I love how honest Aussies are. <laughs> but he said, I love that I was able to share with this guy what's still to come. But this guy was able to honestly reflect back to me where he was at. And he said it was awesome. It was beautiful. He doesn't know what this looks like for this guy. He has no idea. But he was able to rejoice in being obedient and stepping out. It cost his friends got a bit, bit scared and he was a bit anxious himself. But there was this beautiful moment where he gave this person a little snapshot of love, a little snapshot of something that this person, he didn't know whether he'd got it before or, or after. But there's something beautiful in that space because what he saw was not the person or the circumstance, but he saw the potential. He saw the possibility and said, I know what's coming and I really want to share that with you. And I believe God does too. And that's the challenge we've got today. Not to be hard on ourselves and go, oh, I find that so hard and I'm embarrassed and, and I don't have the words to say. And when I do say them, I feel like an idiot. It's to say that is insignificant compared to what's coming. And what's coming is phenomenal. It's amazing. And we celebrate today and we rejoice today and we stand on that truth today. And we're going to represent that what's coming today. We're not going to wait till that point. Kelly's not waiting for a wedding day to rejoice. She's rejoicing now. She knows it's coming. She's got the little gold, silver, whatever color it is, white gold, and bling on her finger to say it's coming. And she's celebrating today because she knows it's coming. She's not waiting to rejoice then. She's rejoicing today. And that's our attitude towards what's coming. That's our attitude to the kingdom that's coming. Let's rejoice today and live out of that because there's too many people that are looking on today and see that as the end. Let's not, that's not our perspective. That's not our position because we know we can celebrate what's coming today and we can represent that for them too.